I gave several sermons uh, indicating that things were changing in the world and that the prophecies that we talk about are beginning to really come to pass in looking forward to the Passover, I was wondering when God is going to do some things in answer to that and how quickly things are going to go down around us. Uh, and I do believe that that is correct. We read in Matthew of famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places and nation against nation and so on. And even as we sit here this very day, there are swarms of locusts such as has not been seen in this modern era all over uh, the Middle East, not all over, but through different countries in the Middle East, in Pakistan, even into India, and down into Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, several countries there, Sudan. And they are causing damage that is going to create famine and deaths from starvation because they're coming at a time when uh, crops are growing and now they're anticipating greater rains than usual and even a new hatch out on top of this one. So circumstances are becoming very dire there in those various nations. Uh, we had an earthquake up just north of us here in Salt Lake, a 5.7 that shook the trumpet out of uh, the uh, Moroni on top of the Mormon temple. So I think I commented, he, Mormon's not going to have a whole lot more to say, perhaps. <laughs> and maybe that's a bit symbolic, I don't know. But they've had 700 earthquakes up there since then of at least 2.5 in magnitude aftershock. Earthquakes going on all up and down our west coast, uh, smaller ones. But if you look at a map of the Ring of Fire, there are volcanoes going off all the way around it except on our west coast and, well, up into Canada even. But it's just lit up around the rest of it and it can't be long until it lights up on our west coast. What that will do, uh, we shall wait and see. But we have an incredible number of volcanoes from Washington down to southern California all along the west coast. So these things are happening, and here we are in the middle of uh, wars, uh, China appears to be about to go to war against Taiwan and take it over. Uh, India and Pakistan are fighting over Kashmir again. And in Syria, we have a situation there where the Turks and the Iranians uh, and the Russians are going at it. And the United States is there as well, and there have been missiles being lobbed. We haven't been hearing about a lot of these things lately because the only thing you hear about here is coronavirus. So other stuff that's still going on in the world is still going on. And it's becoming, I think, more and more obvious that this coronavirus is not just 
a flu strain that a bat or a pig uh, espoused upon the world, but that it is a planned bioweapons attack that has occurred. And they seem to be even inflating the numbers of dead and dying because they have an agenda. And that agenda is martial law in the United States, whereby they began this communist takeover. So who knows just how fast it will develop, but we never had this kind of a reaction to the Ebola scare, and Ebola is far worse than this coronavirus. Uh, we didn't have it over the MERS or the uh, SARS, I think it was. Didn't have this kind of reaction in this country. And yet here we get a, a brand of the flu that has been turned loose on us, probably in concert between the Chinese and the United States, having developed it, we helped pay for it, and then uh, helped get it unleashed. And I think they were hoping it would be worse than it is so that they could more easily take over uh, with a, lock, a total lockdown. That has not occurred. <clears throat> We've had a partial lockdown, which is damaging the economy incredibly. Now, how long it will last, we don't know. But they may even do something else to make things worse so they can get their lockdown. Because I do not believe that the Democrats intend to allow... President Trump to stay in office, whether it be through the election or whether it be through assassination or whether it be a coup that is maybe being taking place already uh, in our nation that we don't see as clearly yet, but uh, these things are going on. So I made a statement that I didn't, I thought this is it, this is the end, the end time events are now not something in the future, they're here. And we see an economic collapse coming soon. It was it was already leaning toward recession before this hit. And now that this is here, people are getting behind financially, businesses are getting behind. And how would we ever get back out of it and be back the way we were? I doubt that that can in any way happen. Things are escalating, in other words, and getting worse and worse. So, with that in mind, I don't think I was wrong about those things. I think that was absolutely correct, and I think that we are entering into this end-time period that all these prophecies have talked about. Now, just how it will play out for you and me is perhaps still a question. But let's go to Second Peter 3. Because Peter, in his uh, books, talked about perilous times coming. But I want to go to chapter 3, uh, which we addressed recently, but to look at again a little bit, uh, of Second Peter. He says, The second epistle, beloved, I now write to you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He wants us to remember the things he said about terrible times coming, and remember that the disciples 
become apostles, had been left with the impression, directly from Christ, that the end would come within their lifetimes. So, with that in mind, they wrote the way they wrote. And you can see that internally in quite a few of the different books of the New Testament, that they were anticipating things coming right away in their lives, just as we have been anticipating now since the 50s, and reading these scriptures and wondering when are they all going to come to pass. Time has gone on and time has gone on. But Peter said, I want to remind you here, by way of remembrance, and to stir up the pure side of your minds, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, he's reminding them, thinking that they're right at the end, and this would occur within, well, maybe he didn't think at this point it would occur within his lifetime, because he mentions his death. Because Christ had told him that when you're old, you're going to be led around and you're not going to go where you want to go, and they're going to kill you. So perhaps he had come to face to face and come to grips with that. But he said here, at this time, when we're near the end, be, be mindful of the words spoken by the holy prophets. So he's telling us we need to go back to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, even Psalms and Moses, and be aware of the things that were said back then. Okay? He says that's where you are to look. And I don't think most of the church has really gone there much. They're all uh, going mostly to the New Testament, and it's fine to go to the New Testament, which we are doing today, but we are to be mindful of all those things because they had to do with and impact the end times. So having spent a lot of the last 24 years going through those prophecies, we have, I think, a pretty good grasp of them. There may be a few things that are a little cloudy or unclear, but for the most part, we have a very good grasp of that. So he's reminding us, though, that that is the thing to do and to have done at this point. So that we are very aware of what they said would occur here at the end. Prophecies of Israel being destroyed and taken into captivity. Prophecies of the day of the Lord and uh, darkness and uh, tumult. So, those things are in there for us now. So, be aware of the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So, pay attention to the prophets and pay attention to what the apostles were saying. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, so this is indefinitely in what he's talking about in time frame, that we should be doing. There will come scoffers walking in their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So, as we get to the last days, and we're there, 
He says there will be scoffers around that say nothing's different, nothing's changed, everything's okay. <coughs> you can go across America and ask questions, and that's the answer you're going to get from a lot of people. Everything's the same, nothing's changed. Now, more and more are beginning to wake up since they've been quarantined, more or less, and realize that something's haywire. But even yet, there are so many that say, well, it's just the flu, it's just passing, we're being locked down for no good reason, and they don't understand the politics behind it, because there is a big reason behind it. We haven't locked down before when things started getting this way disease-wise. We don't lock down from the flu every year when 30, 35,000 are going to die from it in this country. Well, we're just now reaching where they say we've had about 35,000 die in this country as a result of the coronavirus. That was this morning. And how many of those were flu and how many were coronavirus, who knows. But we're just now getting to the flu numbers. And yet here we are locked down. Why? There's got to be a reason for that because it's never happened before. They had something in mind. But a lot of people are still unaware of where we are, that the last days are now upon us. We sit in them, and we are beginning to experience the upset and the uproar that these scriptures talk about. But there will still be scoffers and saying, where is that promise? Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth consisting of the water and in the water. It says standing out of there, but in the Greek it means standing is consisting. When Genesis 1-1 occurred, uh, the earth was consisted of water, and in the water. Remember it says there that he caused the land to appear out of the water. So what Peter here is doing is confirming that the earth was not created in Genesis 1.1. Even as Genesis 1 says, that he brought the earth up out of the water. So there had been a creation here before. The heavens of old. And it had all been covered by water here on the earth after Satan's rebellion had caused chaos in the universe and God won. But the earth had nothing showing but water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So that creation that Satan had ruled over that was beautiful down here perished and was overflowed with water. Now, he didn't create us in our present form until Genesis 1. But the earth had been here before and had been overflowed and perished. Well, he's not talking here of, of Noah. He's talking about when there was no land showing as a result of that previous rebellion. So who knows what was here before that? The Bible isn't clear, but Peter 
clearly understood that there had been an earth and a creation that was destroyed and covered entirely with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, so moving forward from that time into Genesis 1 and forward, the earth which are now, that which you and I experience day by day, by the same word are kept in store, reserved to fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So he's comparing what happened to be before Genesis 1, and it was overflowed and destroyed. Now we have a world that is looking forward to a different kind of destruction. Fiery times, judgment, and perdition. But then he encourages, he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the eternal as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Quoting Numbers 14.34. So, here he confirms the 7,000 year plan of God. That a day is as a thousand years. And Paul in Hebrews 4 speaks of the weekly cycle, seven days, as a type of the rest of God or as the millennium. That the Sabbath represents or is a type of the millennium. So he makes it very plain here that this is a 7,000 year plan. And we are near the end of that 7,000 years. In fact, I think that it is still very likely that we'll end up in 2026 and 27 as being the end of the seventh or the sixth thousand year period and time for the millennium to begin the thousand years of rain. Then he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now, why did he bring up the thousand years as a day? Because it has reference to the 7,000-year plan. And then he says, this isn't off, this is correct. God is not slack concerning his promise. He knows when it is. He says he's not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. So he has in mind the, the 7,000 years. He's not slack, as some people would count it, but he also wants to save us out of all this. So he says that all should come to repentance. And then he says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens pass away with great noise and the elements and so on. So he said, seeing that this terrible time of destruction is coming upon the earth, not total destruction, Isaiah 24 uh, talks about the same thing and says there will be few men left. It's not total destruction as some have thought. But certainly most men of mankind will be killed. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all conduct and godliness? 
So he says, be reminded of the prophets, be reminded of the things we're telling you. God is not slack. These things are coming. The terrible destruction of the end is coming. And we ought to consider ourselves and what we are. Because since judgment is coming, uh, ours is nigh as well, whether we'll be a part of the 144,000 or not. So everything is on schedule, he says. We should be watching. We should be waiting, as Christ said. Looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God. And he talks about fervent heat and destruction. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, now this is coming on the whole world, and the depopulation is coming. Daniel says maybe a hundred million is all that will be left when this is all done out of seven and a half billion. And I do believe that it is now coming upon us. Uh, we've been waiting now for years wondering when all these people that have said we need to reduce the population by 90%, some of our own presidents and leading politicians have said that. And Bill Gates has made it clear that he feels 90% ought to be killed. Now, there's a funny deal for you. Here's a man who has stated in his own words that we need to reduce the population by about 90%, and yet he's the main one spending lots of money to develop a vaccine to save lives. Isn't that odd? Is he lying about which? Is he lying about, I want to reduce you by 90%, or is he lying about wanting to save your lives with a vaccine for everyone on earth? I think that the truth of that should become pretty well evident. He's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He wants us destroyed, and out of building vaccines... I should think that he is preparing vaccines aimed at helping kill off the population. That's got to be the answer to that conundrum. He wants us destroyed, and his vaccine is not going to be there to save us. Billy Gates, or Billy Goat as some are beginning to call him, uh, is not there for our good. And they have now started this process by releasing this coronavirus and locking us down when it wasn't even anywhere near one flu season. Just a few had it when they started locking us down. If they got something in mind, they're moving a lot of military equipment around right now. They're moving National Guard. He called up a million troops. Is this done every day? No. This thing truly is upon us, and it's going to get worse and worse. So, what manner of person should be we be? He says, verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So, we need to be sure that knowing that these things have now started, 
They will crescendo. They'll get worse. They're not going to get better. They're going to get worse. Oh, it may kind of go up and down as, as one wave hits and then a, uh, subsides and another wave hits, but it's, we're in it now. We're not wondering when it's going to happen. We're in it. Uh, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's giving us opportunity to repent, to change, to grow, to live in peace with each other, not to have spots of the world, and to be blameless before Him. So that should be our goal and purpose, is to serve Him, obey Him, be as much like Him as we possibly can be, so much the more as we see these things coming upon us. And that's why Paul wrote with the same thing in mind, that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together so much the more as we see these things coming, because he was speaking of end-time events as well, still thinking it was coming in his lifetime. So we need to be doing all we can to help one another live together in peace and not have spots of the world that we and not bring it in ourselves with the modern communication. When we depart from the city, we're supposed to leave that stuff behind us with the city and not bring it out here with us. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And I just quoted part of that from Hebrews, that we should be getting together, we should be helping one another, encouraging one another as the day draws near. As also, and not only that, we're being kind of semi-quarantined together already. <laughs> and this will probably get worse. Because they're going to come out with some kind of a card or some kind of an identification that you're going to have to have in order to travel, uh, in order to do anything, and even to buy and sell, as we know from the book of Revelation. They're already developing these things. They have now a new driver's license, as you're supposed to have, I think, by sometime this year. And if you don't have that, you can't fly on an airplane anymore. Your old standard license from the, the state that issued it will no longer be good. Uh, they were they offered it to me last time I had my license renewed, and I opted out. I didn't want their new international uh, identification thing, but it's becoming mandatory in order to even fly, and I think that's due sometime this year that that goes into effect. November. November is it? Yeah. So if you don't get that new driver's license. You might as well figure on driving. And if you figure on driving, you might better expect border checks along the state lines because those are already being instituted here and there. You see, this thing is a lot bigger than six feet of social distancing. They are arresting people for being out on a surfboard thousands of yards out in the Pacific with no one around. In California, they sent two boats full of men to arrest a guy on a surfboard who wasn't even on the beach 
and probably had 6,000 feet of distancing. They're arresting people for lifting weights on their front lawn with no one else around. These things are going on in this country right now. <clears throat> they're trying to make this as bad as they can, and they're trying to push people to see how far they can push without the people pushing back. Now, people are beginning to push back a little in Montana. Uh, they're pushing back against the governor who's trying to cancel the hunting season. They're going to have a rally up there tomorrow in Helena. Uh, somewhere else they were doing, uh, North was it North Carolina, I think. Uh, they're also pushing back against this. Uh, West Virginia says, we're keeping our guns. You're not going to <clears throat> destroy the Second Amendment somewhat like Virginia did a couple months ago. We're keeping them. If you want them, you're going to have to come after them. So they're beginning to push back a little. And it's not just toilet paper anymore, but if you've been following it, uh, guns and ammo sales have just gone through the roof, uh, particularly ammunition. Uh, certain types of ammunition you can't find. It's not in Cabela's. It's not in Sports Warehouse. It's not in uh, Bass Pro. It's not in any of the uh, retailers. Those which are used in AR-15s and AK-47s uh, for protection. It's all gone across the nation. Uh, even people who are reloading information or pop, um, ammunition can't get the components to do it with. They're real slow getting them. So Americans are beginning to wake up to the fact that these people are trying to take us over and to destroy our country so they're out buying ammunition as fast as they can find it. Now that's what's going on behind the scenes. So, Paul wrote, he says, and Peter says that Paul wrote some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, to their own destruction. People don't just twist Paul's, they twist the other scriptures as well. Uh, all of churchianity does that, and some in the church do that. Yes, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, Ahead of time, we've been studying them, we've been approaching them, we've been looking at them, trying to figure out what all they mean and how they fit together. We spent a lot of time going through these prophecies and these scriptures, seeing how the Old Testament fits together with the New Testament and all that. He says, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Uh, it's time to be very alert, to be very aware, and to be steadfast. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. So he says, keep growing, keep learning, be alert, be aware. Even as Christ said, these things you'll know when you see the leaves coming on the trees. Well, we've been watching that now for a long time. 
And now suddenly their trees are bushing out, if you will. They're coming into full leaf as this stuff has started coming down on us. So I have no doubt the things we've been watching and looking for all this time are now upon us. And Peter is reminding us that it's all according to his will and that he is not slack, that he remembers the 7,000 years. And Paul reminded us in Hebrews 4 that the week represents the 7,000 years, the time of his rest. So God is not unaware that we're close to the end of 7,000 years. He's quite aware of it, and he is going to do things on time. Now, I have looked at Joel 2 for many years, and it indicates there, at the end time, that uh, blessing will come in the first month, the former and the latter rains, and so on. And I emphasize that quite a bit this year because I can see that these things are now coming. And I was wondering if this is the year of Passover or Passover time when these things would begin to occur in a very open way like it's beginning to occur in the world. And, well, the month's not over, but we went through Passover and didn't see anything that appeared to be what Joel 2 is talking about. And Joel 2 may be for a little bit different time. I'm not sure. I looked at it a little this morning. Uh, he's talking there at the beginning of Joel about the locusts, the armies coming, and like that's kind of in the middle of that. I don't know. But it didn't appear to come this year as yet. Uh, and yet these things are upon us in a very real way. So if we do have another year to wait almost, uh, it's going to be a very, very tumultuous time. And we are facing an impending financial collapse. And many people are beginning to say that this lockdown, <clears throat> which was not really needed uh, for the sake of the virus itself, which so far is really no worse than a flu season. Now, it may get worse because it is killing people, undoubtedly. But nonetheless, they were using it as an excuse because they do not want to see Trump back in there and they want to see communism and they want to see our country destroyed. Uh, the beast and the false prophet, remember, in Revelation 17, are going to destroy the woman that rides the beast. Uh, we are that mystery Babylon, the great and the leader of Satan's system today, and we have to be destroyed before the new world order can take over. Uh, so they are trying to get rid of the Constitution. They're trying to get rid of us. They're trying to take us over. And Ezekiel 5 makes it very clear that at the end of 430 years, whatever that is, and I think it was in 2017, but not long after that, we would be destroyed. And one-third by famine and pestilence, which has started, and one-third by the sword, which follows it, and is probably part and partial with it, and then the rest will be taken into captivity. 
about 30% of each, and then 10% will be left and survive until the millennium. So that's what's just ahead of us, and the famine and pestilence we can see coming. Uh, I think a lot of the pestilence and famine is going to be created by man against man. That's always been the case. Uh, they've released this virus, and now they're using it as an excuse to disrupt supply lines. They're dumping millions and millions of gallons of milk every day. They're shutting down processing plants so that a meat shortage is coming upon us, and the Canadian government has warned that there's a meat shortage impending very soon. So you won't be able to get meat. And I just talked to a processor yesterday, in fact, who said he's he's a small guy. I don't mean he's short. I mean he's not a big meat processor. And he says it's just getting crazy. Everybody wants meat and they can't find meat. Farmers, ranchers have now started killing some of their animals because they can't get enough feed for them and they can't afford it and the price of livestock is going down. So they can't make any profit on them and they can't afford to feed them, so they're just killing them. And more and more that's projected to happen. So that creates famine and disease. And a lot of it is man doing it to man. We know the one-third that will be taken by the sword is at the hand of man. And the one-third that are taken into captivity of our nation is at the hand of man. So there's two-thirds of it that are clearly in the hands of man. So the famine and pestilence is more than likely also in the hands of man. So what you're seeing is a result of man's activities. Those in charge wanting to see us reduced by 90%. Now, some of it may be natural, although there are weather wars going on, but they say the U.S. is facing the worst drought that it has ever had, for lack of rain. Worse than the Dust Bowl of, of uh, the 20s. I just read that yesterday or this morning. So this thing is upon us. I don't think I was incorrect in this lead-up over the last few weeks about that, um, maybe perhaps wrong about what would occur, I hope, at Passover. But, you know, we've been that way now for a lot of years. When this information about the prophets and the minor prophets first came to me in 96, I anticipated that maybe it would start that Passover. And that's been 24 years. And since then, it's been kind of back and forth because he, he says of, about the ninth month and the 24th day, from this day will I bless you there in the book of Haggai. And yet in Joel, it says in the first month, you'll get the former and latter rain. And Zechariah 10 tells us to pray for the latter, former and latter rain in the time of it. Uh, so I've been kind of going from each 924 to each Passover season, wondering how these different days of God saying blessing would come fit together. Uh, which one starts it? 
because there are different times for blessing. So what's what and how do you correlate it? I've never come to, I don't think, a full understanding of that. And we kind of go from Feast of Tabernacles, knowing 924 is coming, to Passover, wondering when is this coming? Now we see the actual prophecies of destruction and reduction of people coming to pass. There's no doubt now that I can see anywhere that this virus was not fabricated by man and released by man on purpose. That's been pretty well proved by different people who know the nature of viruses and what this one consists of. So it was put upon us on purpose, for the purpose of depopulation and beginning to control us and destroy our constitutional rights. That's what they're doing. But the time element for a blessing on us is always a little difficult. Uh, We have clues, which I've been reading to you. I'm going to go back to uh, Isaiah 6, I think, for a moment here. This one just came to mind, in fact, where the question is asked, how long is this going on? Peter tells us, don't be frustrated. Live according to his way. God knows when it is, and he's not going to be slack. Uh, But we still wonder. Uh, So, Isaiah was uh, commissioned here in chapter 6 to go and talk to people, and he said, send me. So they did. Verse 9, and he said, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not, and that their eyes would be closed, and they wouldn't understand what's coming. Remember the scriptures that say that these end-time things are, are going to come suddenly, And in one day it talks about in Revelation 18, or in one hour it also mentions in that book. So, meaning not 24 hours or 60 minutes, but in a very, very short period of time, he says it will come on you, because people have been lulled to sleep, and they don't realize what's going on. And we've entered into this period of time now, and most people have no clue what's really going on. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long will I speak these things and people will remain asleep? And here was the answer. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant. So this thing is going to go on in one form or another until our cities are wasted. They are being wasted as we speak. Uh, the mayor of New York just said yesterday, I think it was, that New York would stay locked down until August. Can you imagine what New York would be like by August with everything shut down? Till the cities basically become uninhabited. Where are we going to have food riots? We're going to have people killing each other over food and civil war. Jeremiah tells us we're going to have civil war. And that in our own nation, we're going to have the rulers killing one another. 
And I do believe that our president and probably vice president are going to be uh, victims of that, as Isaiah 7 says. To the church will be born Emmanuel as a babe. And before he would know, good from evil, before, uh, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both her kings. Hosea says essentially the same thing. <coughs> so what you are seeing is the beginning of trouble in this country that is going to get worse and worse until the cities are without inhabitant, the cities be wasted, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. Nobody around. Aren't we seeing the beginnings of that? You go to town, you don't see half the traffic you used to see. Uh, on the highway, you don't see anywhere near the traffic you had three months ago because people are staying at home more. And our highways are starting to become more desolate. This is going to get worse and worse until nobody will be going out there. And they'll be removed from their homes by famine and pestilence and by the sword. So he said, you're going, to, you're going to give this message until these conditions exist. And the Lord have removed men far away. That's talking about the captivity then. Destruction of the cities, uh, waste houses in waste, and then a great forsaking in the land. People being hauled out. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten, used, as a teal tree, as an oak whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Then he talks about Ephraim being destroyed in about 65 years after that, and the confederacy or conspiracy and destruction by the Assyrian coming upon us. So that message, this message that we are talking about, is going to continue through this destruction as it occurs. So here we are, watching it begin to happen. And out of it somehow comes a tenth. And Jeremiah says they'll flee just ahead of the Assyrian army. Uh, we are in the beginnings of famine and pestilence, and after that comes the sword or perhaps before it's even over, but that's how it starts, with famine and pestilence. And we've got famine coming, the food shortages, and they're going to get worse, and we have pestilence coming with it, and it's going to get worse until these conditions of Isaiah 6 are met. So we are indeed in it, brethren. Uh, right there in that, when it says that tenth will come and the destruction is brought upon us, he says, this confederacy is coming, back up in verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> and he says to us, verse 16, kind of like Peter did, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, those who have the truth. God's testimony, and Isaiah is giving us testimony right here, and the law is to be kept among his disciples, and I will wait upon the eternal. Now, we're going to read about 
this again here shortly. I will wait on the eternal. I see all these things beginning to take place. I see the armies begin to gather and rumors of war. And there are people now who are talking about how China may attack America. You're seeing that in the news. Uh, I think the Assyrian will lead it based on the scripture, but I think China certainly is their ally and part of the confederacy that this chapter is talking about. And in fact, they probably are already involved with the U.S. government in releasing this pestilence that we are dealing with this very day. But what about us? I will wait upon the eternal that hides his face from the house of Jacob and I will look for him. So I think it's very clear to us by now that God has turned his face from spiritual Jacob, the church, and we're supposed to be looking for him and we will wait for him. We're not going to give up. We're going to endure it to the end. We will wait for him. There's no sense in giving up now. Now, maybe it hurts our hope a little bit if Daryl gets excited and says, well, it looks like it could be this year. Uh, and I think that the time frame is such that these things have started and they won't let up until all of it has occurred. But he is implying here that we have to wait on God. Peter said he's not slack. He will do this according to the correct time, but it's going to seem like you, like it's never getting here, you have to wait on him. Now, we read in Psalm, what was it, 102, uh, that there is a set time. Oh, I was going to finish this first in Isaiah. Let me finish the thought. Uh, wait on him and look for him, and that's what Jeremiah says. We turn to him with our whole heart, we look for him, try to find him, and then he will be found of us. He will listen at that point. Look for him. Verse 18, Behold I and the children whom the Eternal have given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwells in Mount Zion. So Christ is going to come to dwell with his people in Zion, and he is going to show signs and wonders. We read the same thing in Zechariah 3, that he will use the signs and wonders to reveal his branch, uh, Zerubbabel, and then the teaching of the church will come to pass during these terrible times, because it appears that they are going to start Houses being emptied, cities being emptied, people taken captive. They're going to start, and yet out of the middle of this will come that tenth. So, it's just before the financial collapse, apparently, in Zephaniah, and just ahead of the military, but the famine and pestilence start ahead of time. So when does the blessing come to us and when does he quit hiding his face from us? He's going to show signs and wonders. That's very clear. Maybe we don't get the exact timing, but 
from there, then, I want to go back to Psalm 102 and reiterate what Peter said. Verse 13, You shall arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yes, the set time is come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones. Don't we love to go to Zion and see the rocks and stones and cliffs and beauty that God has made? And we favor the dust thereof, the red dirt from which we were made. And as a result of him doing this, the heathen will fear the name of the Eternal. When the Eternal shall build up Zion, verse 16, he shall appear in his glory. And he will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer and turn his face back to them. So there's a set time, and we've been looking for that time for a long time. But that one is hard to pin down. The leaves coming on the trees, as Christ said, that's pretty apparent. And they get thicker and thicker, and then they're fully there, and the time has come. But he's not slack. He knows the 7,000 is coming up. Uh, he has a set time, as it says right here. And... Uh, Zechariah 1 is a good point, a place to tie in with this. Here he's talking about the 70 years of the captivity which the church has been in, in Babylon, and when we're supposed to be released from it, and then God begins the blessing. He says here in uh, verse 12, uh, The angel of the eternal answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long? Will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you have had indignation these threescore and ten years, seventy years? So the seventy years apparently have ended here, and he's saying, how long before you now show mercy? Just as Daniel said, the seventy years of the captivity in Babylon had occurred, and yet... He'd read that in Jeremiah, he said, but then he wondered how long until we're released. And it was in the second year of Darius, uh, beginning the third, apparently, before they went to begin building the temple. So we have a three-year period there, approximately following the 70. And just as we've had now, I believe, uh, into the beginning the third year since uh, the 430 of Ezekiel uh, is done and the destruction declared and he said it's come, it's come, it's close it's not going to echo anymore it's, it's upon you and it appears now with what's happening around us that it is indeed upon us and it will get worse and worse so he said when is this going to happen and the Lord answered the angel that talked with me Good words and comfortable words. So the question is, how long after this 70 is this going to occur? Because there's a certain amount of frustration in that question. How long? So he said, and gave me comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said to me, Cry you, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, 
I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I'm sore with the heathen that brought this affliction. And my holy, my house shall yet be built, in verse 16, and the enemies have to be cast out, and so on, and Christ then is going to come and dwell with her and be a wall of fire around her while the temple and Jerusalem are built. So that how long keeps coming up, doesn't it? And we keep trying to answer it and wonder when the set time is, or the appointed time, as Peter put it, and it's elusive to us. Let's go to Habakkuk. Now this, in the sequence here, is right after Nahum, which is the uh, destruction that will come upon Israel as a result of the Assyrian and how God is also, I think, in here uh, going to punish uh, the Assyrian afterward. And then we have right after this book, the book of Zephaniah, which God says he's going to get the idols out of the land and we're going to have a great financial collapse. They'll throw the gold and the silver in the street. That's Zephaniah 1. Now, Habakkuk is sandwiched right in there between that. Now, notice what Habakkuk says. We've been over it before, but today, as we wonder, how long, O Lord, this is something to be considered. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So, this is a heaviness, a burden. There's trouble coming, in other words. O Lord, how long? Shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you of violence, and you will not say. How long is this going to go on? Now, we read in Isaiah 6 that it's going to be until the cities are wasted, the houses emptied, people taken into captivity, and out of all this destruction is going to come a tenth. So, we will have entered it before that tenth comes. And here he says, how long do you have to cry and God won't hear? We've been wondering that for a long time now, haven't we? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are they that raise up strife and contention. Do we see any of that happening in our country today? Oh, it's everywhere. All over the news we see happening what Habakkuk is saying here. Therefore, the law is slacked. The Constitution's basically been removed. There's no rule of law anymore in this nation. And judgment does never go forth. All kinds of weird decisions made by judges... And judgment is no longer there. Now they're turning prisoners out of the prisons, hardened criminals right back into society. It's happening today as we speak. Where's justice and judgment? For the wicked does compass about the righteous, and it's happening now as they're shutting down churches for control. These liberal shadow government, mostly Democrats, hate Christianity and Christ. And it's not about social distancing. It's about religious persecution. 
If you hold a church service out in the parking lot beside the church, everybody's in his own car, not exposing anybody, everybody in their car listening to a loudspeaker, and they come and fine every car there $500 for breaking the rules. They weren't breaking them at all. But they saw an opportunity to persecute churches. And it's happening today and will tomorrow, Sunday, all over the country. They hate Christ. They hate Christianity. And as our Second Amendment, I mean, as our constitutional rights keep going further and further from us, this will get worse and worse because they aim for total crackdown, martial law. And anybody that disagrees goes to a FEMA camp and bye-bye. Verse 5, Behold you among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, to us, he's speaking, our days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. He's going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Assyrian, and he's going to come after us. Now let's go to chapter 2, where Habakkuk starts using some sense and wisdom here about how he's going to approach these things as they come upon us. I will stand upon my watch. I'll be watching I won't be asleep. I'll stand on the watch, the tower. Set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now, he has questions in his mind as he sees all this coming. Just as you and I have questions as we see all this coming, we need to be alert and watching. Uh how is God going to answer us? And perhaps we'll be reproved. And we have been being reproved. Now here's the answer to that. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on the writing that he may run that reads it. We're getting down here, he says, to the end of these things. It is an urgent message. Here's the message. Run. It says the same thing there in Zechariah 2, that the young man who hears of this is to run because we're down to critical times. All right, we've reached that. Now it's time to be urgent, to realize it's upon us, and a warning needs to be given urgently. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. We just read about the set time in 102 of Psalms. It's in an appointed time, and Ezekiel echoes the same thing. He says at the end of the 430 years of Ezekiel laying on his side, that we will be destroyed. And then he, but he didn't say immediately. He said it's near. It has come, it has come, it is near, over and over again, that it's going to be very soon after the 430. And I do believe that ended in 2017 in the fall, July-August time, time frame. It's an appointed time, and it will speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. 
because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now that's almost the same wording that Ezekiel used, isn't it? It will seem to you like it's, well, is it here? When's it coming? When's it coming? Because he doesn't give us a specific time. He says it's appointed, and it will come. Wait for it. It's the same thing he says there in Ezekiel 7. It's come, it's come, it's near. Uh, it's not going to be the echoing again of the mountains. It's near. And now as we see the coronavirus and ridiculous shutdowns as a result of it and misuse of the power, uh, it's upon us. It's not going to tarry. And he tells us the same thing that Peter tells us. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. You're still going by vanity and ego. But the just shall live by his faith. We trust God. We have faith in God that he's going to deliver us out of all this. There's a set time for it. It's coming. Wait for it. And live in faith, trusting God that these things are going to come to pass, that he's not slack concerning his promise, they are coming. Mentions how long again in the verse 6. So, he says, it's coming, don't tarry. I mean, it won't tarry, it'll come. The knowledge will be filled, verse 14 of chapter 2, with the knowledge of the glory of the eternal as the waters cover the sea. And don't put the bottle to your neighbor and decide you're just going to get drunk and wait for this thing to be done. No. Uh, that's not what Habakkuk did. Chapter 3, he gives a prayer. Oh Lord, I have heard your speech. He's been listening to the things we just read. And was afraid. These are scary things. This Chaldeans coming on us, going to destroy us. And our own government and the Chinese apparently already having unleashed something on us that is killing us. It's the beginning of all this. He says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. So if we're at the end of the 430, we're at uh, the end of the 70. He gives a period of time there afterward that's going to seem long and here the prayer is to revive your work in the middle of this and then it talks about how the wonders of God and shows the day of the Lord approaching in verse 11 and how God will march through the land in indignation and then scattering came verse 14 how God did walk through the sea with his horses, through the heap of great waters. And when he sees all these things that we've been reading about and all these prophecies come to pass, Habakkuk says, verse 16, When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones. These are scary things. It's scary today for us from here <clears throat> to go to St. George, Utah. Because you don't know who's going to breathe the virus on you. We pray for protection, which God says he'll give us. But it's a scary time. 
rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. He says, I'd rather die than face what's coming. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Now he quotes something that's very similar to Haggai 2. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The way Haggai puts it is, have these trees produced? Have they? Have you seen these things that we've been reading about and that God has promised us? He says, no. And then he says, on the ninth month, 24th day, will I bless you? So we're looking for these things to begin to happen. And yet Haggai says, at this point, they hadn't yet. They were right there. And he's asking, how long? And God says, wait in patience, live in faith. It will not tarry. It's going to come. Even as Ezekiel says, it has come, it has come, it is near. It won't be a long time ahead of you. And that's where then you get this thing about, well, we're going to begin to get blessed in the ninth month or in the first month. Which comes first? Because they both speak of blessing. And one has to come before the other. And I haven't found anything yet that tells you that. So it's still a question in our minds. We don't know exactly when it's that time is. But he knows. And therefore, you trust him and have faith and wait for him. And seek him and try to find him. So he says, this hasn't happened yet. The fields yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls. We're scattered. Not one stone left upon another type of thing. But, but what's his attitude? How does he approach this? When we are wondering how long and when are you going to turn your face to us, here's his advice. I'll sit on my watch, verse uh wherever it was back there. Yet I will rejoice in the eternal. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He says it's perplexing, it's confusing, it's frustrating. I don't see these things happening yet. But in spite of that, I'm going to rejoice in God. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like deer feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. So he gives us encouragement there that God is going to do these things after all, even though it seems like it's not getting here. And isn't that the way it's been feeling? Yes. But it's coming. Then he talks in Zephaniah about removing the idols and the financial crash. And this is something we see beginning to happen. There are beginning to be some runs on banks around the world. There are banks about to fail in spite of $2 trillion in bonuses or, or uh, uh, bailouts and so on that they're giving. And the stock market is still, even in spite of that $2 trillion, it's still dipping and diving because the system is about to collapse. So we know we're here. We're watching the collapse in real time 
by reading the news today. And how long it will take for it to totally fall remains to be seen. But Isaiah says it will lean outward as a wall. We see it leaning and leaning more and more, and then it will just fall. Boom. So, I hope I didn't get our expectations up too high regarding Passover, but I have no doubt, which I'm trying to say today, that we're there, that this thing is upon us. And how long before we see God suddenly turn and begin answering our prayers and healing us and giving us those dear legs, as Habakkuk mentions, again, we wait patiently, living and walking by faith, knowing he's not slack. There is a set appointed time, and he knows it, and he's not going to tarry, but it will come. And if we're patient and faithful and walking in faith, we're still going to be here when it does occur. So it's unquestionably coming. Are we unquestionably going to be here to see it, experience it, and be blessed by it? That's the only question. So let's hang in there. Let's be strong. Let's not fear and work and be blameless before God without spot and living and walking in faith because we will be rewarded for it very soon now.